Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Well, one of the most common themes in Christian living is this theme of forgiveness. Our Bibles are full of admonitions to forgive. And many passages assure us that God forgives us through Jesus Christ. Did you ever wonder why forgiveness is important in the life of a Christian? Well, hanging on to anger, not forgiving, in the end, only harms us. Hanging on to hostility and anger can consume us. Doctors specializing in psychosomatic medicine tell us that up to 90% of illness can be caused by stress simmering inside and hurt. Is it any wonder that our, our Bibles contain passages like the ones you just heard that show us and tell us to let it go. And that's the take-home message today in a nutshell, just let it go. Um, Extending and asking for forgiveness are soul exercises. In doing both, we grow spiritually and add to our health. Now, one thing that I want to make clear up front about forgiveness, it it doesn't mean that you should stay in any kind of abusive relationship. That's not required. What the admonition to forgive means is that you need to lift this anger off your heart so it doesn't consume you and injure you. And when you are not consumed with anger and hurt, you are far less likely to hurt someone else. Yes, you will need to walk away from abuse, but the deep work of forgiveness is to not hold on to the grudge any longer. And just another note, sometimes the deep work of forgiveness can take time, sometimes a lot of time. And I want to tell you a Norwegian folktale, which I first heard in one of Pastor Ed Marquardt's famous sermons from Seattle. Peter Holm was a bridge designer who lived in Oslo, Norway, about a century ago. Peter designed all the bridges in Oslo at the turn of the century, and his name was etched into the bronze plaques at the bases of his bridges. And because of his work, Peter Holm became famous and rich. His pockets were deep, and he invested vast sums of money. But as often happens, life turned sour for Peter Holmes. The economy in Norway dried up. His investments quickly disintegrated. The government was no longer building bridges. Peter found himself near bankruptcy. And worse than that, at the same time, his wife of many years, Helga, became sick with diphtheria, and she suddenly and unexpectedly died. It was awful. It was a terrible time in Peter Holmes' life. 
Peter was left all alone except for the pride and joy of his life, little Asta. Little Asta was nine years old with long blonde hair and the biggest blue eyes you've ever seen, and her skin was flawless, and Asta beamed with delight at her father, and her father delighted in Asta. And in the midst of his depression, Peter Holm decided to just give up and quit. And so he moved up north further to uh, near the Arctic Circle to become a blacksmith in a small village. And depression ruled his life, and he was running away to bury himself in a remote village. And as he moved into this village, there was already a village blacksmith, and that village could not support two smithies. The other blacksmith was named the Hammer, and the Hammer was as hard as his name. The Hammer was a rugged man, as rugged as the Norwegian mountains, and his heart was as cold as the frozen fjords of winter. And the Hammer owned a vicious dog that reflected the personality of its owner with snarly teeth and a vicious growl and was downright mean. And this mongrel was chained to the fence of the Hammer's workshop, and the chain was often stretched tight as the dog growled and nastily barked at a passerby. Well, one day the chain did break, and the vicious mongrel attacked the first person in sight, and that person was little Asta, and the dog mauled her and killed her, and needless to say, Peter Holm was devastated. His grief was beyond grief, and his despair was beyond despair, and his grief turned to rage, and his rage turned to hate, and his hate turned to revenge, and this is all he could think about every waking moment of the day and every dreaming moment of the night. He was plotting revenge against the hammer. And the hammer had escaped with a light punishment from the police, but Peter Holm had lost his whole life, his daughter, his most precious possession. Well, time passed, but the anger did not. And Peter Holmes' soul dried up as his inner soul became consumed with a hidden rage and bitterness. One spring, the hammer planted the seeds for his crop too early. And the seeds sprouted, and there was a freeze, and the crops were destroyed. The villagers secretly took pleasure in the misfortune of the hammer. Well, one night in that late spring at 2 o'clock in the morning, Peter Holm was walking quietly down the streets of the village. And there were no sounds in the village except for an occasional barking dog and the sounds of Peter's footsteps against the cobblestones. The village constable was watching the village, and he approached Peter Holm. Where are you going at this late hour of night, Peter Holm? To the house of the hammer. And what are you going to do at the house of the hammer? And there was a long pause as Peter walked away and said to the constable, I'm going to replant the seeds in his garden. And Peter murmured to himself, so I can live again. My soul has been dead too long. I need to plant the hammer's field so the light of God will finally shine on my soul again. And so the long night of hate and resentment and rage ended, 
and in his forgiveness, Peter Holm could finally look into the face of God again. Well, I want to spend the bulk of my sermon today in our Old, Test- Old Testament text, our Hebrew Bible text, which communicates this theme of forgiveness. Do you remember the old Sunday school tale from the book of Genesis when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt? Well, many of us are are much more acquainted with the gospel passages on forgiveness, but let me then provide a brief recap of Joseph's story just in case any of it has become fuzzy. Joseph was the favored child of Jacob and Rachel. He was spoiled because Rachel, Joseph's mother, was Jacob's favorite wife, and this is why he was the favorite son. And remember how his father gave him that multicolored robe? There was a musical based on that, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, of course, Joseph's half-brothers, born to less favored wives, were jealous and came to want to get rid of Joseph. Well, one day, Jacob sent Joseph into the fields to check on his ten half-brothers who were tending the sheep. His brothers decided then to kill him, though Reuben, the oldest, tried to save him and threw him into an empty well where Reuben could come and rescue him later. But just then a caravan was coming through and heading for Egypt, and the brothers ended up selling Joseph to these slave traders. Those brothers then took Joseph's coat, killed a goat, put the blood of the goat on it so it would look like a wild animal had killed him. And then they showed that coat and told that lie to their father Jacob, who was inconsolable. Well, Joseph ended up doing quite well for himself in Egypt, as you might recall. He was sold as a slave to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. We know that God was with Joseph always, and Joseph prospered at whatever he did. Eventually, Potiphar put him in charge of everything. But then Potiphar's wife took a liking to handsome Joseph, and she tried to seduce him. He was a man of character, and he declined, so she framed him and got him thrown into prison. But Joseph even did well in prison and began to interpret dreams correctly, including one of the pharaohs, which got him restored. Pharaoh then put Joseph in charge of all the grain storage operations in Egypt during a famine that came upon the land and also affected Joseph's family back in Canaan. Jacob sent 10 of his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And Joseph recognized his half-brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Long story short, he gave them grain and saved his family's lives by sending treasures, food, and gifts back to Canaan. His brothers and then his father found out that it was Joseph all along. Our passage today finds us at the end of the story after Jacob dies. We're concerned that Joseph might hold a grudge against them. Joseph's half-brothers worry that he will retaliate for all the harm they inflicted upon him. They go to Joseph and they ask forgiveness, and Joseph does forgive them. 
and his brothers weep and even offered to be his slaves. But Joseph also weeps and tells them that he is not in the place of God. Joseph tells them that even though they intended to do him harm, God used all of it for good in the preservation of a numerous people during a time of famine, a people who would one day be the ancestors of the Messiah. Joseph reassures his brothers that he will provide for him even though they had done him wrong. It would seem that all was forgiven going forward. And if all stories of such wrongdoing could end in such earnest forgiveness. I love the message that comes through the messiness of the whole story. All the wrongs end up furthering the spiritual growth of the characters. They did not stay at the same place spiritually. Once spoiled Joseph grew spiritually, he forgave from his heart. And we would like to think at least that the brothers were truly repentant from their hearts. And there may be another less obvious take-home message for us all today, that the messiness of life, the wrongs done and received, can all strengthen our souls and foster our spiritual growth. I would even say that we don't grow at all without sin and messiness. Isn't that ironic? God, we know, can turn evil into good. And through the stories of our lives, God is always with us, actively working for resurrection in and through our personal destinies. Are our hearts soft enough to forgive? Are our hearts soft enough to repent when we have done the wrong? Well, that's the message uh, that both the life and death of Jesus communicates as well. Jesus, as you know, forgave those who put him to death on the cross. We hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joseph forgave his brothers, for they too did not really know what they were doing. They both let it go. In his life, Jesus had some very pointed words to say about forgiveness. When Peter asked him in our Matthew passage today how often he should forgive someone who sins against him, Jesus replied, not seven times, but 70 times seven, or 77 times. Now, that was not a limit of 490 times, if, if my math holds out. This was metaphorical language for always. God always extends mercy and forgiveness to us, and we are expected to extend mercy and forgiveness from our hearts to others, always. And why is that? Because forgiveness frees us. Forgiveness is the road to freedom. Harboring hatred and vengeance and rage are like a cancer that can destroy us. We are healthier both physically and mentally when we forgive. We grow spiritually when we can forgive and ask for forgiveness. 
Possessing these qualities mark us as mature Christians. Remember, coming to a place of forgiveness is not instantaneous. It requires prayer, process, and sometimes therapy. The gospel invites us to love our enemies and do good to those who persecute us. And I think of Peter Holm going to replant the seeds in the hammer's garden, even after the hammer's dog killed his beloved daughter. Why? The hammer didn't deserve it. But do we ever really deserve the extravagance that God bestows upon us? Sometimes when we do something good for someone who doesn't deserve it, our long night of hate and resentment and rage may end. We can model Christ to that person. And in our concrete actions of forgiveness, we may finally be able to look into the face of God again. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.